Hey everyone, welcome to the Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. Every week, four to six of us get together and discuss a movie. At the end of the episode, we announce the movie for the following week. All movies are available from streaming services, either as part of your subscription or to rent. Thanks for listening. Now, on with the show. Welcome to the Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Dale Maxfield. I'm joined by Alicia Walker, Aaron Caldwell, Josh Dean, Hi. Nathan McKinney, Hello. and Zach Rowland. Hey! And today's movie for discussion was Alicia's suggestion, Road to Perdition. Uh, we will be talking about that a little bit later, but first we'll talk about what we've been watching lately. Um, me personally, I caught up on the latest season of Afterlife, Ricky Gervais' latest show. Um, the second season is a lot more of what was going on in the first season. Um, it doesn't quite have the same shine because it's not a completely new thing, but it was fun enough and entertaining enough. And they kind of it's it's not really a cliffhanger ending but they made it really seem like there's going to be a season three and then they've announced that yeah there is going to be a season three of it so um dill what is that what is that show about um so i'll give you the like my paraphrasing of the netflix synopsis of it because it does a pretty good job of not spoiling anything um ricky gervais character um, his wife has died of cancer and she's left him like a bunch of video messages. So she actually appears in the show quite a bit, um, where she kind of like tells him, you know, to move on with his life and not be a terrible, bitter person and all of this kind of stuff. And, um, he is suicidal and, uh, decides that if he doesn't care about himself, he doesn't care about anybody else. And so it becomes like his superpower is that he just doesn't care. So he just says and does whatever he wants. And eventually, you know, he'll just kill himself anyway. So what does it matter? Um, and that's sort of the, the premise for how the first season starts up. Um, and it kind of moves from there. Um, it's more along the lines of, uh, uh, his the the series he did before that Derek, it's a bit more like Derek than it is like his other uh, series. Is it's very it, it's it's still very funny, um, but it's much more. There's a lot more drama to it. Um, it's on Netflix, and every episode uh, when they talk about you know they say it's rated TVMA or any, everything, um, it's rated TVMA for suicide language and something else i forget what but suicide is like a, a pretty major theme of the show i like Derek, so i'll probably give it a shot eventually yeah. it's pretty good i i just finished the second season myself this week and I, I would agree it's it's very much like the first season but but still pretty good compared to a lot of things so uh and i i pretty much watch whatever ricky gervais does for for better or worse so yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's and it's super fast because they're each like half hour episodes, I think, and there's only what maybe six, six eight episodes, something six, like that. Yeah. So oh, it, really? You yeah, you can sit in an afternoon and watch a season. It's kind of like Fleabag; it goes really fast. 
Fleabag was amazing. Or Catastrophe, kind of like that, too. Yeah. it's. I mean, it's three hours a season, basically, so it's not a hard thing to, to watch through. And it also doesn't like... Um, I always feel like when you get to the end of an episode, it feels like you should just keep watching. It never... Like, it doesn't really resolve necessarily. There are Most of the storylines go all the way through. Um, my only real complaint in the second season, and maybe I'm just not remembering this from the first season, is that a lot of it feels like everyone on the show just exists to interact with his character. It's like they don't seem to have much of a life outside of him. And he kind of does the same thing with them every single day. So it's like this kind of weird like way to explore um, what's going on with him and with the other people. Um, and then there's one character who was like ridiculous on the first season that I've seen a lot of people are just like completely hate him now. Um, and Alicia probably knows who I'm talking about, but um, th- you know, he's just there. So like those scenes are just kind of a, kind of a wash. Um, they're really only worth it for, uh, if you go to his Ricky Gervais's uh, YouTube page, he has the full set of outtakes for season two. And watching that guy try to get through some of the stuff he says is pretty hilarious. So that's me. Aaron, how about you? Oh, well, this week HBO Max started up. Oh, yeah. So how I've, was that? I've been. I've been hitting a couple things on it. Um, actually, has some of uh, some movies. I, I just got HBO again for this reason. Um, it, it's it's got old school Looney Tunes, which is fantastic. Um, they actually made new Looney Tunes, and they did right by the Looney Tunes legacy. Um, but they also have some really good movies that people may have overlooked. Like, I uh, I watched The Lady Vanishes, uh, the old 1938 Hitchcock version. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, oh, it's just such a great film. Uh, if you haven't watched it, I'd suggest that. And then I also started the first season of Battlestar Galactica, the remake. Um, yeah, and have you not watched that before? I I watched it when it first aired. I'm getting my wife to watch it for the very first time, okay. and I I've forgotten how great those those first few seasons the, were. Yeah, the first three hours are like the best. Oh, fantastic! The, so the mini series. Yeah, yeah. You ju- you just can't beat that. Uh, but that that's what I've been watching lately. Right on. Zach, how about you? Um, I'm all over the place, but uh, I'll just throw out a few things here. Um, on TV, uh, I'd like to throw a mention to the Disney Gallery, The Making of the Mandalorian. Um, there's four episodes right now on Disney+, Plus, but man, and if you guys know me, I'm a Disney hound. I'm a Star Wars geek. Um it's so good. It's like, even if you don't even like the Mandalorian, which I, I apparently like, there's a lot of people that I've been hearing about 
that haven't liked it as much, or at least people in on Facebook and whatnot. Um, the way they made it is just so cool to me. And, uh, you know, again, just coming from like a production background and, um, you know, being involved with stuff like that, um, some of the technology they produced to uh, make this series was just really incredible. And I love listening to their their passion for Star Wars. And it's like refreshing to me as a Star Wars fan because it's so uh, divided right now with all of the things that happened in the sequel trilogy that I just love hearing people geek out about Star Wars and not hating on it so much. So that's fun for me. Yeah, I don't know if you were around. <laughs> we I think we talked on this podcast before about how um, some of the technology that they used to shoot The Mandalorian was... Um, created for John Favreau's The Jungle Book, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that like surround green screen that actually shows video, like the actors can see what the surroundings look like, and it moves with yeah. when the camera moves, so it's it's a lot more natural than shooting against a green screen. Oh yeah, it's going to be the future of how most of Disney does their live action stuff, I think. Uh, it's called The Volume, yeah, and um, it's incredible. I mean, it's basically merging game technology, video gaming technology with filmmaking, which is like, we knew that was bound to happen at some point. And um, man, I mean, you know, it's, it's incredible to watch them do what they do. Yeah, um, th- like they're real-time know? rendering the entire um, surrounding. And so if a character is moving and the camera is moving, the computer knows that the camera is moving and it's rendering the background to adjust to that. So they can do all of this incredible things instead of, you know, like when they shot, I mean, pretty much anything with a green screen, but like a really great example would be like when they shot the Phantom Menace and it was just like tennis balls and green screens or um, there's that yeah. famous story about, uh, Ian McKellen shooting um, one of the Hobbit trilogy movies where it was just like him for days and days standing by himself on a mountaintop surrounded by green screen and he started crying he's like this isn't what I got into acting to do like I haven't talked to anybody in days so for, forgive yeah. me for interrupting the uh, the volume um, so when the camera's panning, it's it's rendering it real time. So the green screen is is like a computer screen, or yeah. is it projecting it, down on the screen? It's not green. Oh. It's it's the what what the what the screen around the actors and around the set is showing is the final thing that's going to be on camera. So the whole thing is happening in camera at once. What I'm asking, is it like a rear projected screen or is something projecting down around them? It's, well, it's more like a rear, rear projection, projection, basically. Yeah. Okay. It's, um, I think, can't remember how many uh, what this, uh, LCD lights or whatever it is, but I mean, it's like an astronomical amount. It's like it's a giant LED f- panel, basically. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Okay. The one I kind of want to talk about real quick, has anybody seen Honey Boy? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, the yeah. Shia LaBeouf one. Yeah, yeah, what a story. I mean, just... And I watched that after watching Florida Project, and I was like, <laughs> ugh, I couldn't... I oh, was yeah. like, I can't. What am I doing to myself? Um, <laughs> insane. Yeah. I just... Uh, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty good. Um, anybody else have any takes on it? I'm just kind of curious. I, I was going to suggest it, but 
I don't know. We did Florida Project, so it's like it was at TIFF you know. 2019, and it was one of the many movies that I was not able to see at the festival, so I had to seek it out later. Um, mm. But I thought it was good. Yeah, very, very solid, very emotional movie. I get confused. I or at the time I got confused a lot because I kept thinking I had seen it, but I'd seen American Honey, which also has Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. I just had this like honey block in my head. <laughs> it was one that I, I had really wanted to see before it came out. And uh, I think we've, we managed to see it in the theater, if I remember correctly. Uh, and I, I kind of feel like Shia LaBeouf's on like a, a terror, just doing really great movies. Um, he, I loved American Honey. I loved this one. So I feel like there was another one in there somewhere that I saw. And I was like, Maybe Peanut Butter, uh, Peanut Peanut Butter Falcon. Falcon. That one was yeah. really good too. Yeah. So I mean, right now, he, any challenges I might have had with him in the past, uh, with you know Indiana Jones, <laughs> Kingdom of the Crystal <laughs> well, Skull, had, or whatever. Many problems. So but that wasn't happened. all him, you know. But I, I, I think he's redeemed. I'm, I'm excited about whatever he's going to do next. Quite frankly. Yeah, I actually yeah, watched I, a whole bunch of that. Uh, that like Shia LaBeouf watches Shia LaBeouf Film Festival. I went to that. <laughs> you went to it? That's awesome. <laughs> I went to it. Yes. I, I didn't get in, unfortunately, but I went because I wanted to watch films with him so bad. It was great. Oh God. Yeah. For, for yeah. people that don't know, I forget how long. It was like 48 hours or something or longer, yeah. maybe. Um, yeah. He just basically watched all of his movies, I think, in chronological order or something like that. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And the way they did it, like they didn't have the rights to stream the actual movie, but they just had a camera on him the whole time watching the screen and you could kind of hear it a little bit and you could see like his responses to it. And people were writing like whole blogs and just doing like screen caps of like, you know, here's the happiest he was. Here's the most tired that he was. Here's the most bored that he seemed to be like, here's the, here's the five (laughs) times people like shook his hand or, you know, Gave him a soda or something, and yeah, it was really funny. <laughs> that sounds phenomenal. Yeah, it was kind of funny. I didn't really expect there to be that many people into it, but there really was, and there was quite a long line. And of course, by the time I got there, it was like I think it was day two. I wanted to go. Actually, I wanted to go see Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yeah, because I hadn't seen it at that point, and I wanted to watch see it with him there for some crazy reason. But uh, yeah, the line was like out the door. It probably would have taken like I don't know a few hours to even maybe get in to find a spot, and you're you don't know how close you're gonna be. I wasn't there really to like meet him or see him. I just thought it was a great idea and an interesting concept. Yeah, and it was free, and you could stay as long as mm-hmm. you could basically stand it. And so, yep, you just go and do that. And his his only thing was like um, he didn't he wasn't gonna answer questions. He wasn't he like you know he was nice to people or he'd let them into the row or whatever. But he he wasn't there to you know do it as a press thing or as a fan greeting thing. It was just the Shia LaBeouf festival. So yeah, that's pretty cool. I think yeah. so. Like more people. But I should mean, do that's that. still a press thing. I mean, obviously, if he wanted to just watch all of his movies, he could do that at his house. So right. obviously, there's something for publicity. Uh, or it it like was. Uh, I mean, it, it was more of like a performance art thing. I yeah, see. Then, yeah. It was then a stunt. PR. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which he's a huge fan of. He had that like 
performance art art installation that he was in. Yeah. Oh, really? Where he just would just do it. lay in state. Mm-hmm. It was. He, it was. I'm assuming really like weird. he and Joaquin Phoenix would just be like buddy oh, buddy all the way. Yeah. I mean, or the they would kill each other. Or they would kill each other. Casey Affleck <laughs> would join them. Yeah, Casey Affleck dressed as a ghost would join them. Oh my yeah. god. <laughs> Uh, Josh, how about you? Yeah, so uh, there's a movie called Come to Daddy. Have you guys heard of this? No. Mm. The Elijah Wood one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's pretty nuts. Um, I, I could just give you the premise of it, but to say too much about the plot uh, gives away some really interesting developments. Um, Elijah Wood plays uh, a troubled young man who gets a letter from his estranged father to come visit him in a remote um, lakeside house. And uh, Stephen McHattie plays the father, kind of poor man's Lance Hendrickson. I don't know if you guys know Mm. uh, Pontypool. Have you seen that? He's the main guy there. Anyway. um, And uh, his father's immediately very aggressive towards him. And uh, the whole thing has a bizarre off-putting vibe. And then uh, just... Things go very haywire in the first half hour and then get weirder and weirder as it goes. Um, it's the guy that produced the Greasy Strangler, Okay, that movie. Yeah. Um, it's his first uh, <laughs> directing uh, attempt. And um, it, it just it, it gets really crazy. There's some stuff I can't unsee from that movie. Um, and, uh, yeah, it gets graphically violent, I will say. And uh, if you like flaccid penises, you'll be very happy with at least one scene in this movie. I mean, um, that is a small market, but yeah. I, that, it's a, it's a yeah. crowd pleaser. Who doesn't? Yeah, sure. Yeah, who doesn't? Uh, exactly. Yeah, uh, fun for the whole family. So um, I watched that. Uh, I can't recommend it to everybody, but it's, uh, it's, an, it's an adventure if you want a movie that you can't tell what, what's going to happen next. Um, it's it's good for that. Um, That's cool. I also decided to embark on a quest to rewatch the uh, prequel trilogies um, for Star Wars. Mm. Yeah, why though? So I could watch Clone Wars. I've never watched Clone Wars, and I hear that's a good mm. animated series. That's fair. Um, so I just have copious notes about new problems I've seen and. <laughs> Uh, just questions about the plot that I never noticed before. Um, I just want to sit down with like a hardcore Star Wars geek, like Zach, well, maybe, and just so like, I got time. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that you you should do that. Um, are, you're familiar with the Mr. Plinkett reviews, right? Mr. Plinkett, no. Oh man. Okay, here's your next project. So uh, there's a a media firm or a, a video production group comedy group called red letter media oh okay okay so the way that they got started or the way that they got famous was that one of their uh one of mike's characters is this guy named mr plinkett and they did just kind of out of nowhere before like this was back when youtube had a 10 minute time limit um Mm -hmm. they did a 70 minute review of the phantom menace that uh-huh. is like the perfect takedown of everything that's wrong with that movie. <laughs> and then 
they went ahead and did the rest of the prequel trilogy. Nice. Is that the one where he uh, talks like? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's it's so good. Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace was the worst thing since my son. Oh, and there's this little thing called a protagonist. <laughs> called the, no, he doesn't even know how to say, he doesn't pronounce it right. He's like there's something important in film. It's called a protagonist, and uh, <laughs> nice. Um, but I am enjoying Clone Wars. At least that is a good yeah. show. Uh, I just I really enjoy Red Letter Media stuff. Um, uh, when Zach brought up Joker earlier, I was also going to mention that I guess, like, he doesn't state it outright, but there's a video somewhere called um, Walking Phoenix Has Probably Seen Red Letter Media. And it's a video interview of Walking Phoenix talking about an argument he watched of two guys talking about Joker. And he said, mm-hmm. and the one guy liked it and the other guy didn't. And he said the more he watched it, the better their arguments became against each other. (laughs) And, like, he agreed with both sides of the argument. And then they cut in, like, as he's, like, giving details, they cut in the actual parts from the Joker review that Red Letter Media did. And it's like he's obviously talking about Mike and Jay reviewing Joker. Like, and Jay hates it and Mike thinks it's good. So, Nathan, how about you? Well, we we actually had to sit down and write down a list because we we've watched so many dang movies. Um, Discovering Canopy, like like I've watched probably five movies on there. Uh, this just this week, yeah. I mean, so I'm gonna just pull my list up here. Um, well, we watched our uh, Blu-ray copy of I Married a Witch. Yeah, that was a bit of a letdown, but that's all right. Yeah, I it's. Veronica, Veronica Lake. Lake. Yeah. Let's let's not spend time well, talking about that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, Jean-Luc Godard. I watched a film from him called Une Femme. And Alicia's going to help me have to pronounce that. It's Marie. Marie. Mm-hmm. So it's about a... It's a an old black and Marie. white... A girl, no, a married, a, a mar- married woman. A married woman. And it, as far as French New Wave goes, it's it's probably one of my favorites that I've seen so far. Um, in that it is, I like the way he tells tells the story. It's just very unique filmmaking. Um, the whole film is pretty much shot in like tiny little like twenty to thirty second vignettes, and a lot of it is very abstract or um, like inner thoughts. So you might see a poster that she's looking at or a a clipping out of a magazine and she kind of whispers her thoughts about it. And she's kind of struggling with her own body image. So there's all these random shots of like her leg and his arm and, and they say a little something. And so you get the plot out of like all these little tiny sequences. It's really interesting. That's cool. uh, I'm gonna skip. I'm gonna skip that one there. Uh, the next one because that's the one I think Alicia wants to talk about. Uh, we did decide to rewatch True Lies. Well, you decided, and I was present. <laughs> Just fine. I watched that the other night as well. Oh my wife God! Just that up. Yeah, uh, my wife brought it up for some reason too. That's so funny. Well, it's really funny because I remember when that first came out thinking, this is pretty good. You know, seeing it with the family. All right. Pretty yeah. good movie. Oh, God. 
It it's, was hard to sit through. There's some How really dare you. obnoxious shit going on in that movie. <laughs> How dare you? Oh, I feel like I have a friend who has like a, a thing where he'll just like throw out Schwarzenegger quotes for any occasion, like put, pull them up on his phone or whatever. And I think half of them were probably from True Lies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, their, their representation of... Um, terrorism and and that whole thing well, was course. so definitely, damn cliche definitely that was that hurt stupid. to watch um there were several sequences that were especially the way he treats his wife well uh. you know I, I enjoy the tom arnold parts because sue me I, tom arnold makes me laugh but i like him there's a few good parts uh. jamie lee curtis ain't bad but yeah, I, I think I think I'm not going to watch that again for a long time. Yeah, I think we've we crossed that one off. Yeah, our somebody list, uh, uh, ironically brought that that movie up as an example of a uh, a strong female character from a 1980s movie. Oh yeah! <laughs> oh my god. Um, okay, so going down our list some more. Uh, some kind of wonderful. We hit that one. Yeah, it was fine. Uh, That's we the watched John one. Hughes. Uh, yeah. yeah, rip off John Hughes. It's not John Hughes. Uh, he Eric Stoltz and is it Mary? No, it's Mary he produced Wh- it or something. I don't think he actually directed it. Um, Which three named woman is it? Mary Mary Stewart, Stewart Masterson. Masterson. Mary Stewart Masterson. Okay. It was all right. Uh, he wrote it. Uh, he wrote it. Yeah, that's right. And it's actually my favorite John Hughes movie. Really? Yeah. Really? I really like so it. Get out. <laughs> so I, I really like it. Yeah, it's one. It's one of the um, Brat Pack movies that I didn't discover till I was already well into adulthood. I think I rented a video of it, going, "Huh, I know the song. I might like the movie." And uh, so this was ch- kind of another revisit of that, but it was good. Yeah, I I watched it as a teenager and just fell in love with Mary Stuart Masterson, which is hard to do in a movie with Leah Thompson in it. So. Mm, that's true that's true mm-hmm. um so we also picked up and watched one it's an old sophia loren movie um which actually i didn't enjoy until about 45 minutes in we like we took a break it's called a uh, marriage italian style and it's actually one of her more famous i've early seen it. roles actually yeah um it took about 45 minutes we took a break and i was almost ready to just say you know i don't even want to go back but we came back and it got way better um, so the second half really redeems the first half, but um, that was kind of interesting. Old Italian movie. Um, we watched La Ventura, which is um, also Italian. Also Italian, um, really good black and white kind of just a slow burn. Uh, probably an early slow burn movie of slow burn movies out there. Well, it leaves a lot of stuff up in the air. Alicia, how about you? Well, I watched most of those things with him. Uh, I also watched Afterlife. I started watching the British Home Cook, Best British Home Cook. Hello, cooking fans. Watch it if you like the great British baking show. And then another movie we watched, which is probably my favorite from this week, and I won't talk too much about it, was uh, one of uh, our Jacques Tati films, one that I hadn't seen. I'd seen some Jacques Tati before, but Nathan hadn't, and it was Playtime, uh, and it was fantastic. It was very, you know, it's kind of... 1960s modernist world in France everything's choreographed everything's timed if you don't know Jacques Tati he's very much kind of like a Charlie Chaplin kind of you know inspiration for Mr. Bean kind of a thing he talks very little 
he's he's just you know an actor and what's happening around him and so it was a lot of fun and very stylistic and loved it thought it was fantastic well cool that's it well there was a suggestion uh it was road to perdition and we all watched it um i think raise your hand if you have not seen this movie before yeah, I thought so. I thought everybody had seen this. Um, it's, I mean, 2002. It's pretty. It's been around a while. So, um, yeah, Alicia suggested this. Um, I am going to ask Zach to start for us on what you thought yeah. about Road to Perdition. You know, sometimes I I really love that people suggest things like this that I have seen, but I like to go back and watch them. And I really enjoyed this uh, watching uh, this viewing that I had um, just because I think I might have forgotten some parts of it. And so it was enjoyable to kind of like relive it a little bit. But um, I totally forgot this was Sam Mendes. And man, I'm just like loving him as a director more and more. I want to go back and watch more of his stuff from the past. This was his especially after movie. 1917. That's crazy. I mean, like, it's so good. The cinematography, of course, won an Academy Award. It's uh, incredible. And I thought that the acting was great. The cast was phenomenal. Um, man, I was just fucking loving it all the way through. And I love a good gangster movie. And it's not only, like, a good gangster movie. It's a good revenge story. And it just has so many good components to it. Um, I mean, I can't. I, there's so much. There's so much. But um, yeah, I I really liked it. Uh, I loved it, and um, I can't wait to talk more about it. Okay, Aaron, how about you? I'm in the same boat as Zach. I I love this movie. I'm a huge uh, Tom Hanks fan, and. Then you throw in Jude Law, the fact that Tom Hanks kills James Bond, and, <laughs> and it was uh, it he was wasn't at the time. Was, I, he was in in he uh, you know it's Paul Newman's final movie. Um, it, it was it was so well done, and the atmosphere and the the environment, um, this the scene. Uh, with the Tommy Gun massacre, that that scene, mm. I just I could watch that scene over and over. I find it so beautiful. Um, it, it is just such a great film, and one that you don't really hear people talk about. Now you mentioned this was Sam Mendes' second film. What was the one preceding this? American Beauty. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. That that makes same, uh, total sense. Same cinematographer as well. This, uh, but where American Beauty was told through dialogue, this was told so much through the environment. Well, that is like, based. That's uh, in large part uh, because of the source material. Um, Road to Perdition yeah. is a graphic novel that they adapted, and there's very, very little dialogue, if any, in the graphic novel. It's all images. I was 100% unaware of that. I loved it. I, I thought the the lack of dialogue and, and the fact that the entire story had to be told through what we were seeing, it was just so beautiful. 
yeah, I think that's uh, what drew a lot of people to it. And uh, yeah. I want to just jump on something that Aaron mentioned real quick. Um, the Obviously, the Tommy Gun Massacre in the rain. The moment where he's talking to Paul Newman's character um it, 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 and he's like and he turns around and he says i'm glad it was i'm glad it's you right is does anybody else feel sort of like that it's like that handing off of an era where he's like handing off paul newman's to like to like tom hanks like he's like it's your turn now buddy like i don't know there's just something in that moment was so magical and so beautiful in terms of cinema that i was just like I, it gives me chills yeah i did that that's an interesting observation. I didn't think about it like that. Um, Same, but I can definitely see it. I was busy. I was busy. too busy just enjoying the sound mix for that scene in the first place. <laughs> I was because you don't hear any of the shots up until he shoots Paul Newman, which I think is really, really great creative sound mixing. Yeah, yeah. I was busy slathering myself in Newman's own to just really connect with the material. <laughs> uh, Nathan, how about you? You know, if if you this would have been one of those movies where I would have had to like basically eat my hat if I had reviewed it the first time I'd seen it, uh, watching it the second time. I I I was a huge fan of American Beauty when it came out. I was much younger at the time, and it was it was kind of like a really impactful movie for me when I watched that one. Uh, I loved Kevin Spacey, and it was one of the very first roles I really paid attention to Kevin Spacey at the time. Of course, now that doesn't weather very well. <laughs> uh, but I mean, the script alone in American Beauty is amazing. I'm not here to talk about American Beauty, obviously, but I loved it to a very large degree. So when this came out, I think I kind of felt a little bit like it was. A little bit paint by numbers, um, a little Oscar Beatty, and I wasn't quite ready to buy Tom Hanks as a bad guy, and I wasn't quite ready to buy Paul Newman as a bad guy, quite frankly, because most of the roles I'd ever seen Paul Newman play up until that point were pretty friendly roles, and I've seen a lot of Paul Newman since then, and he does not always play a friendly role, and so coming into it now, and especially with the the perspective of it being a Sam Mendes movie, that now that I really have an appreciation for what he's doing, um, I I really undersold it when I to myself when I saw it earlier. I I'm glad we rewatched this because I really have an appreciation for it now. Um, there's just so much really good filmmaking in it. Um, we haven't mentioned the music yet, but uh, I went and looked at Thomas Newman's list after this. I was like, God, this guy. He's not quite John Williams, but boy, he's really close as far as like the quality of his um, uh, scores and just he's got a very different aesthetic. Um, whereas John Williams is much more classical. I think Tom Thomas Newman is almost like uh, more abstract, I guess, almost. But I I really enjoyed a lot about this movie. Like I, I mentioned the sound direction on that one scene. It was really throughout the whole movie, including the ocean at the end. Um, there were just a lot of really good little pieces and parts to this um, that I thought was really well done. And it, I thought it was kind of fun to recognize finally this kid who became Superman in Supergirl and stuff. So I don't know. Yeah, if I think they did that. a lot of casting against type. <laughs> There's a lot of like, you know, people who would be like the romantic lead in the movie are villains in this movie, you know, even like Jude Law and um, obviously Tom Hanks and 
and uh, Newman and Daniel Craig. Although Daniel Craig, like nobody knew who he was in Road to Perdition. Um, True. Yeah, I forgot he was in it. And I was like, holy shit. I, it blew my mind to just be like, wow. Was Casino Royale 04 or 06? I th- oh, Layer Cake was 04. Yeah, I was trying to remember when Layer Cake was in, in relation to Casi- this movie. Casino Royale was 2006. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, that's really when I think most people... Got the memo on him. Um, so yeah, um, down to me. Um, like Nathan, um, I was disappointed when I first saw this movie in the theater, um, and that has a lot to do with um, the movies that Tom Hanks had made just previous to this, because I was such a big fan of the Shawshank Redemption and the Green Mile, and I thought this was going to be another one of those you know, big budget, high production, um, lots of story, lots of interesting stuff going on, twists kind of movie. Um, I wasn't really ready for Tom Hanks. Like I didn't see him as really a scary villainous character. Um, I just wasn't buying that at the time. Um, watching it again, I think it, it works a lot better because, uh, you know, I don't have that. I don't so much have that bias anymore. This is, you know, 18 years removed from, from that. Um, I don't have those biases anymore. And so just watching the film for what it is, you know, the fact that it's adapted from a graphic novel and there's very little dialogue really works in its favor. Um, the way he takes care of his son is kind of the most interesting aspect of the film to me. Um, all the period stuff is is good and well done. The filmmaking is is good and well done. Um, it's uh, it's still not a movie that just like like American Beauty. I think is a masterpiece. Um, I I think it's a movie that that everybody should probably see once. Um, but you know, Road to Perdition is like. I think it's one of those you kind of have to be in the mood for it. Um, and it, it's kind of a certain tone. It's a lot less uh, boring than I remember it being. I, I felt like the two hour time was, I felt it more when I watched it in the theater. And maybe that too is just my general disappointment with the movie when I was watching it. It's like not much is happening here. It's just kind of one or two characters and they might have a conversation or two and that's really about it. Um, but this time I was, you know, there was never a point where I was really bored. And then I would go to look at, you know, how much time was left. And it was like, Oh, I've watched an hour of this already. Um, I think primarily because most of the first hour is the first act. Like they take a really long time to establish everything, but they establish it really, really well. And then the second and third acts are shorter because there's no dialogue, there's no exposition. It's just, you know, the scene starts and we're we're all, you know, buckled in and ready to ready to watch it go. Um, so you know, I thought all that was really cool. Um, and uh, and no, I don't. I, I did not have the uh, the affect of uh, for Tom Hanks that I di- that I do now uh, when I watch this. So it wasn't. It wasn't a question of uh, I know 
I know what kind of things Tom Hanks is capable of, and I'm I'm, I'm done with them. Um, this, like one of the one of the saving graces of this movie, and I'm not saying this as a joke at all. Like this is one of the things that I miss about older Tom Hanks movies is Tom Hanks's character doesn't survive. That he doesn't do those anymore. Like his character's yeah. always safe in all of his movies, and that is my. That is one of my main complaints with Bridge of Spies is that here's a suspense movie where I'm supposed to be worried about a character that I know is going to be just fine. So that that's kind of where I left it. Um, but that, that leads to um, what is now our uh, traditional question of what the hell, Alicia? Uh, why this movie? Well, I don't think everybody got to talk before me although i'm happy to talk who did i skip me <laughs> gosh oh i'm yeah. sorry that's okay t-pain uh, <laughs> <laughs> am i am i back to that again or not oh god it that's happened again seriously how about now yeah it's bad Better. you're good you're good oh, yep. okay okay uh so i just have to cut my camera off apparently um so I'm going to be the asshole here. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> yes. I didn't like it the first time I saw it. I didn't like it this time, except okay. it's a beautiful movie. All right. I'm not going <laughs> to argue that Conrad Hall can make a beautiful movie all day long. Um, Sam Mendes hit or miss for me as a director. Um, I think some of his James Bond stuff is good. Well, half his James Bond stuff is good. Um, <laughs> Skyfall is good. Exactly. Yes, yeah, Skyfall is good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I'm not like in the bag for Mendez. Um, but uh, the at Jude Law, I loved his performance in this. Um, there's just a big gaping hole at the center of this, which is Tom Hanks' performance, I feel like. Um, I never bought him as a dangerous man. Um I think the first line of the movie is like, people ask me if Michael Sullivan had an ounce of love in his heart. And I was like, well, yeah, he's a big fucking teddy bear the whole way through. <laughs> like, uh, you look in his eyes, he's not sizing up the situation or seeing how dangerous people are. He's like thoughtfully considering everybody in a, in a fatherly way to see how he can hug them at the end of the scene if he doesn't shoot them in the head. And uh, he's a ten-year-old in an adult's exactly. body. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Wait, that's a different movie. No, I'm but sorry. I think no. you're right, though. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I I didn't buy that he was dangerous. I didn't buy that he was a like master assassin or a killer, stone cold killer or anything like that. Um, so the movie lacked any sort of um, like danger, feeling of danger to me until Jude Law shows up, and like that scene in the diner. I think is maybe the high point of the movie to me where the two of them, you know, where the audience knows what's going on, but Tom Hanks doesn't until about halfway through the scene. And, um, yeah, like that interaction felt kind of electric to me. Um, and then and anytime Jude law would show up and just mess stuff up. Um, it, it, that sense of danger showed up that I like in gangster movies or crime movies. Um, Otherwise, though, like Dylan Baker, also I really liked his little, um, you know, one scene, 
wonder there. Dylan Baker was awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was great. Like I say, like everybody else, everybody surrounding Tom Hanks, amazing, I felt like. Um, I just... He didn't buy. He didn't sell it to me. Um, I tried. I tried to see it, but I just couldn't. Um, otherwise, though, good movie. Um, I don't. I don't need to watch it again ever. Um, but uh, but yeah, beautiful. You know, well shot, well sound edited, uh, all that good stuff. Just not my not my thing. Yeah, I uh, I had a. Uh, I had this thought that kept running through my head that was like, this movie keeps reminding me of this other movie, and thank God it's better than this <laughs> other movie. Um, it kept reminding me of Live by Night, the Ben Affleck movie. Oh, I haven't seen that. Um, it that's a good thing. It's it's, it's trash. It's wasted uh, potential. Yeah. Um, it was like the movie that he made. Basically, like it was the uh, passion project that he got to make in return for doing endless reshoots of the Justice League. <laughs> uh-huh. So, <laughs> um, I think he tried his best, but it just it didn't work. And it's a really odd like the story just goes all over the place. It's really hard to follow. It's really hard to see what they're trying to do, but everything looks nice. Mm-hmm. Like high production values all the way through and everything it's just like it it just doesn't it doesn't land you're you never you never really buy in or 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 get connected to it and i was like this movie has that same kind of look and feel but it's way better written and way better directed and you know better acted i think most most of the way through than uh than live by night was that's good to know I'll avoid that. <laughs> so again, I say, what the hell, Alicia? <laughs> well, hi. Well, uh, you know, I chose this movie because it had been a long time since I'd seen it. I think this was probably the third time I'd seen it. Uh, I saw it in the theater, and I'm sure I saw it not long after it came out on uh, DVD at the time. Uh, and so it had been a long time, and I thought, you know, this this is one I don't remember a ton about. I remember a little bit. Um, I'd, I'd also forgotten Sam Mendes had directed it. Uh, and we started watching and I think I, I loved the, the subtlety about it. I, I, I really liked it. I think I liked the fact that it wasn't in your face as huge of a movie. It was very kind of quiet, uh, still suspenseful. You, you get an idea of where it's going to go. It's not that it's super unpredictable, but, um, I, I liked the visuals. I loved the score. Um, I, I kind of liked Tom Hanks just he's he's the leading man but he's kind of almost a background character I mean he's not mm-hmm. he's the focus but he's not I felt like and how, kind of how they did it and um, you know I, I can kind of buy in a little bit more maybe on him being the hitman I, I know it's hard to think of Tom Hanks kind of that way but I think this idea of the fact that he was a kid and Paul Newman became a father figure for him and it's the Great Depression, and you know what? He's he's putting food on the table and doing what he's got to do to to help out the guy that helped him out. I think that helps me buy in a little bit more to the fact that maybe he's more of a reluctant assassin, you know, a reluctant uh, killer. 
the guy who cleans up after everybody. So I think I could kind of get that more. He, I mean, he's not the Jude Law character. He's not doing it for the kick of it, for the adrenaline rush. He's doing it because it's the housekeeping that needs to be done. Yeah, it's know? interesting. So I think I could buy into that. It's interesting because um, they establish uh, Tom Hanks and Paul Newman's relationship really efficiently and well. Like, he's loyal to him, treats him like a son. They have that scene where they play the piano together that just, like, gives you a bunch of information without any dialogue. Um, and, of course, uh, uh, 007, Daniel Craig is standing there watching with that big, like, fuck you grin on his face. Um, but you have, it's interesting, they actually have, like, three different types of bad guy in this movie portrayed by three different people. You've got sort of the anti-hero of uh of tom hanks in the lead you've got the stone cold killer of jude law and then you've got the guy who's doing it all out of greed and sort of malice at the world in daniel craig's character um so it's got all that going for it but yeah i mean every scene with jude law was like better than every scene that wasn't with jude law so yeah, well, and I mean, it's n- we're not used to seeing him, and of course he has a lot of stuff he'd done after this, although I haven't seen a lot with him lately, but, you know, the fact that he looks so creepy, you know, I mean, he's not talented Mr. Ripley here, he's not, you know, that kind of stuff, he's got the long fingernails, he's got the gross teeth, you know, they well, a couple part of, times, of his head. Yeah, yeah, a couple of times they show him, like, with that kind of balding head, and he looks mm-hmm. like, uh, he almost looks like Al Capone. I yeah. thought anyway, yeah. like when they, mm-hmm. you know, the way they made him up and, and pulled his hairline back like that. I thought he looked kind of like Al Capone. Well, and him taking pictures of the people as they're dying, that kind of, I was trying to figure out what other movie that reminded me of. There's something else where somebody likes to take pictures right as people are dying. And I'm trying to remember what it was. Maybe you guys remember, but and it, it's almost got like a Jack the Ripper quality to it as well. You know, kind of these death scenes and everything and these photographs he's taking. So it's kind it of a Dexter move. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I was in thinking. Some ways, but there was something else I was thinking of that I couldn't quite put my finger on. I read some of the trivia because I just I love to do that now when I watch these movies just to kind of see like what is out there that's you know unique or fun about the filming. And they said that um, they tried to make uh, the Jude Law character be more radish, um, so that he's kind of like like a rat figure in comparison to this like broad-shouldered Tom Hanks like big sort of like bodyguardish uh, guy. Um, but I think they did a good job with that. Like he feels very much like a rat to me. <laughs> well, this, at the time, like this was the heaviest I think we'd ever seen Tom Hanks, mm-hmm. right? Like he put on mm-hmm. weight for this role. Like he looks well, big. When and- Saving Private Ryan, though, is that two thousand? Is that two thousand four? Saving Private Ryan was not too long before or after this. Saving I don't Private think. Ryan was ninety eight. Oh, 98. Yeah. It's a little older then. Okay. Because he's kind of similar some... vein, I think, there where he's a little more understated. He's put on some weight. He does die in that one, although I think you're right. He doesn't die too much lately. But Was this post-Castaway? That's what I was thinking, Castaway. Uh, like he no, Castaway came Castaway out after this. Because oh. he, he had the weight Sorry, already Castaway, on. Castaway was 2000. Um, the filming of Castaway is an interesting thing, though, because... Um, he put the weight on for the early parts of that movie first. And then the entire production took like a year or 18 months off for him to 
lose all the weight for the rest of the movie. And the production actually made another movie in the interim while they were waiting. So this must he must have <laughs> been shooting that in like 98 and 99 um, for it to come out in 2000 with him skinny like that. Um, According he, to Wikipedia, it was uh, it, it filmed in 98 with him having gained 50 pounds. What was the interim and then, movie? Oh, in Road to Perdition, okay. filmed in 98? Uh, Castaway is listed as filmed in 98. Yeah, that's what I just said. So, Well, no, I'm... I'm I was He's clarifying. Verified. He's you verified. Asked, <laughs> you asked if it started in 98 or 99. Well, I'm telling you it started in 98. What was the inner, what was the inner film? The film came out... The interim oh. film was What Lies Beneath with Michelle Pfeiffer and Harrison Ford, uh, which is an awful film. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> it, it is. I, I mean, I don't know if someone's going to sit here and defend it, but it, it's bad. Um, Your it's wife. Bad. Like, gee, I wonder who the bad guy in this film is. There's only two characters. <laughs> One of them is being victimized, and the other one's Harrison Ford. Who could it possibly be? <laughs> um, so, yeah. But, yeah, with Castaway, what I was saying was that they must have started it in 98 with him heavy because they took at least a year off for him to lose all of that weight. And he said in interviews that uh, that that movie essentially gave him diabetes. He now suffers from diabetes because of his... Oh. Um, really poor ideas of doing stuff like that. Um, he did similar stuff with Philadelphia, but not quite as extreme. So, uh, Christian Bale's got to be on kidney failure by now, right? Yeah, yeah. Even Joaquin Phoenix after Joker. Yeah, they he was so in. Uh, he was so unhealthy that like, I don't know, like they they were talking about like stopping filming or like he was dangerously like he was only allowed to be in that particular form for like a couple of days. And then he had to start back on like actual nutrients again. Well, I think he lost it so fast too. If I remember right, I think we had heard that uh, the director had told him he needed to lose some weight and he kept putting it off, putting it off. He's like, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. And mm. so then he lost it in a very short amount of time. Yeah. Well, I was going to back up Josh just a little bit. Um, I agree with a lot what he actually had to say about it. Um, I, I do kind of think that the only reason you really get his character out of it <laughs> on Tom Hanks, maybe just because of all the things he's actively doing and all the way everyone else around him is acting. It's not just because of his acting performance. I, I do kind of think maybe he was a little too teddy bearish for this. And then I will, I will kind of reiterate, you know, one of the things I thought the first time I watched it was that it was a little paint by numbers. I kind of mentioned, I still feel it kind of is that way. I mean, it's, it's a movie that's extremely well crafted it's beautiful to watch, but it also doesn't take a ton of risks. Um, and yeah. it doesn't surprise a lot. And so it falls kind of flat from that standpoint. Um, so that's, I'll just kind of throw that out there to support. I think they try to keep it really simple and try to keep it in line with the graphic novel. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, they didn't add a whole lot of extra, you know, uh, 
there could have been a lot more development of what the kid and Tom Hanks's relationship, the two Michaels, what their relationship was like before all of this started. Um, they didn't do a whole lot of establishment there. Um, you know, we kind of get the feeling about what Paul Newman and Tom Hanks's relationship is like, but they don't, they don't really have, you know, scenes or flashbacks or something like that that really gives us more information than there is. And then, but I um, think that's that's kind of a strength to some of this. I think too, not to you know, I agree, you, but I think the fact that it it you know it's not groundbreaking, but it's just it's pretty damn good. You know, it's not going to be one of the most memorable movies I've ever seen, but it was I think two hours well spent, and I think I appreciated kind of the abbreviated nature of a lot of it, and I think it was kind of nice that they, you know, they had maybe a vision of what they wanted to do, and I think they did a great job with that vision. Yeah, no, Nathan was saying it was by the numbers, and I'm saying, like, it's... I, I think it's just because it's a faithful adaptation of the graphic novel. I don't think they they went in with the idea of, you know, let's punch this up and make it make it unique um, to other films. I think they, they just try to make it as, as good of an adaptation as they could. Um, I also completely forgot that Jennifer Jason Lee was in this movie because yeah, she's not too. in this movie. <laughs> she's... <laughs> She's in the for like yeah. two scenes and then she dies off camera and that's it. So my favorite line was uh it's also fucking hysterical. Uh the wake when he asks him why he's always smiling and Daniel Craig says that and the kid repeats it later. I was like, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well that that also goes to explain why he's smiling so big when they're playing the piano. Because it's like it's it seems incongruous with the way he's feeling but like no that's his like smart ass approach to things it's just okay all right i'm watching you but craig I'm lets it you. slip a few times too which was nice like yeah y- yeah yeah such i yeah i didn't know who he was the first time i saw this obviously um but i was very impressed with his performance going back and seeing it again i really like uh I think his name is pronounced Sharon Hines. You never know with Irish names. The guy that plays Finn, um, yeah. who dies pretty quick in the movie. I thought he made a really, you know, his character was really well done for how short he was there. Um, the same thing with uh, with the accountant. Um, I like everything that that guy's in. Uh, I, I like him and everything that that guy's in. <laughs> um, he plays like a like a. Uh, serial wife murderer on the good wife and the good fight those cbs dramas <laughs> and they're always like defending yeah, him that's just hilarious so no i was just gonna say i don't know if i could totally buy into stanley tucci being nitty but <laughs> you know it's fine yeah that was one of those things too i saw where uh tucci doesn't do uh gangster movies or whatever because of the stereotypes of Italians and this thing and that thing, but he's like, I, but he had to have the chance to work with Sam Mendes. Uh, so I thought was weird. I was like, well, maybe you could have had opportunities later. I don't know why, like you had to go against well, your Paul own too. morals. Yeah. 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 He came like came out of retirement or whatever to like do this. So like Sam Mendes had to beg him to come do it. Um, but uh, yeah. Well, and Nitty is not like, yeah, he's a gangster and he's Al Capone's right hand man. But I think, the role in this movie like he's not 
I don't think he's like defaming Italians. Like his character isn't like he, he seems just more like a like a businessman or like you know just the guy kind of yeah. stuck in the middle going, "What are you doing? You took all of our money. Yeah. What the hell?" Like <laughs> he yeah, doesn't play it like the gabagool Italian. You know, he's yeah. like he's like just a normal guy, <laughs> right? Or like Nitty in the Untouchables. You know, who gets shoved off a roof if i remember right so it's a little different so i we had to look it up we one of the a side note here we had looked up um where this kind of sat in capone's history as far as timing goes and he was uh indicted for tax evasion in 1931 so i i believe if this is the winner i mean unless it's february (laughs) i mean he would have already been indicted and in prison so Stanley Tucci's character would have actually been the guy that picked up that. That's actually what Nitty was. He picked up all of Capone's business and basically ran forward with it. So, and actually by this point, I don't think Capone was even really that hands-on in the business. In fact, pretty much he wintered in Florida most of the time by this point. So he would not have been around. By the way, uh, you guys, I wanted to tie it back to Dexter for one second. Uh, the, blood spatter and when daniel craig gets killed in the bathtub did it that look off to anybody else like the angle was impossible i felt like uh Uh, oh yeah it was and i think they did that for the mirror yeah so that that shot would look cool when the is the mirror that reveals what's happening in the Mm -hmm. background because yeah it's in like totally the wrong place (laughs) um there's also no entry wounds on Daniel Craig's head, so sure. Like I don't know, maybe he shot him like he like opened his mouth like really big when he saw Tom Hanks, and they just shot him straight in the mouth and he closed it again. So, and Hanks was he laying on the floor know. when he did it too. Yeah, yes. yeah. Dexter would have been all over that. He's like, there's no way he could have shot from here. <laughs> and then there would have been a great scene where Dexter and. Uh, and Colin Hanks kill Tom Hanks on the on the table. Nice. <laughs> and then and then Deb just barely catches them, and she's like, "Oh, because Colin Hanks is in Dexter um, as potentially the worst character of all time on Dexter." So the entire time, Edward James almost is just off camera, standing in the bushes <laughs> over by the trash. Stop stalking me, Edward James almost. <laughs> All right. Well, it is. It's my turn to make a suggestion. I was my mind was blank because I had like four movies that I was trying to decide between. Um, I'm going to suggest the movie Wise Blood. Oh, I like 1979, uh, starring Brad Dourif. It is very much a play that got made into a movie. Lots of speeches and dialogue and things like that. Um. I came across it because it was heavily sampled in a remix of a ministry song that we used to laugh about when I was a teenager. Um, He has this whole speech about how any man with a good car needs not be justified. Um, (laughs) Stuff like that. But uh, it's just a tour de force Brad Dourif movie, and there aren't enough of those. So (laughs) I thought I would recommend that. And that's another... Uh, canopy collection movie you can actually get that one out there so so yeah that'll do it um thanks guys for talking through road to perdition 
we did it um and we'll be back next time with another episode of the deeply discussing movie podcast Thank you.